plans for my crazy day. My packed commute. All those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. You are locked on Packers, your daily podcast on the Green Bay Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are locked on Packers. Hello, this is Bill Huber, the publisher of PackerReport.com, part of the Scout.com network, which produces some of the best NFL and college football coverage that you will find anywhere. If you've just stumbled onto the show, I cover the Packers every day, and I have a podcast for you to listen to every Monday through Friday. If you like it, subscribe to it via iTunes or the Android app, and remember to check out the rest of the great Lockdown Podcast Network. We've got Lockdown NFL, Lockdown Fantasy. Check out Locked On Colts to get the loadout on this week's opponent. And also check out my work over at PackerReport.com, home of the world's best preview. This week's preview, merely 5,900 words. So I, I, I go in-depth in the games. And, and today I unveiled my second installment of the NFL Special Teams Rankings. The Packers took a bit of a dip there. And one last thing at Packer Report, all members get 10% discounts on tickets through Ticket Monster and gear through Fanatics. And all new or renewing annual members Get a year's worth of Sports Illustrated. I've got a great show for you today, including a special guest, George Bozica of the Pro Football Researchers Association. George edited a great book called The 1966 Green Bay Packers, Profiles of Vince Lombardi's Super Bowl I Champions, and a lot of fresh things from a championship team that we all know and love. But first, let's talk a moment about the 2016 Packers. And uh, first, let me summarize all the trades the Packers made at the trade deadline. Actually, there was only one trade in the entire league with Detroit, with, uh, Detroit giving up some used coffee grounds for a cornerback. Now, I hear you saying, the Packers need a cornerback. Why didn't they make a trade? Well, here's Jonathan Banks' NFL resume from this season. Zero snaps on defense, and it's not like the Buccaneers are good. So the uh, Lions acquired a cornerback who hasn't played at all on defense this year. So that, that trade should very well put the Lions over the top in the NFC North. Now, the, the, the trade deadline is the most overhyped thing on earth in the NFL. It's, this, isn't, this isn't baseball. And people ask me, you know, why don't the Packers make a move? Why didn't, why didn't they go get, you know, speaking of cornerbacks, why, why didn't they go get the, Joe Hayden from the Browns? He was on the trade block. Well, when you, when you make a trade in the NFL, you take the salary. The Packers are $13 million under the cap. Now, if they'd have made that Joe Hayden deal that everybody, everybody wanted to make, first, Joe Hayden's played 10 games in the last year and a half, but... Beyond that, you take you take the player's salary too, and in the case of Hayden, that you know his base salary was ten million, so you're taking what you know six million of that. Packers thirteen million under the cap. They could have taken that. I mean, they could they could have absorbed that contract. But you know, if you're Green Bay or, or you really if you're any team making a trade, what you have to ask yourself is 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 it worth giving up a draft pick and a whole bunch of salary cap space? For this player, so basically you're giving up two things. And if you're the Packers, for instance, do you want to go make a trade for for Joe Hayden, or do you want that money to resign your own guys? And again, I mean, for, with with an in season extension, I, this is, this isn't fantasy football where you can just go pick up whoever you want to pick up, and, and there's no financial ramifications. There are 
there are real ramifications here. And again, this isn't just a Green Bay thing. This is this is why teams aren't making trades. I mean, I'm sure every team in the world. Look, look. How about the Vikings? Do you think they wanted Joe Thomas from the Browns? Well, of course they probably did. But do you want do you want to give up the draft pick and whatever financial flexibility they have and to go? You're. I don't want to say you're going all in on this season, but I mean you are potentially sacrificing a player who can help you, like you know, like Nick Perry for the Packers, who could help you in 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. And obviously, if there's a guarantee that Joe Hayden pushes you over the top, you make the trade. But nothing in the NFL is guaranteed. So that, in a nutshell, is why the Packers and, and basically everybody else in the league did nothing. And one last thing for the Packers, as I speak to you here at, on, at uh, 6 o'clock on Tuesday morning, the Packers still have not filled that roster spot created by uh, releasing Niall Davis on Monday. I think Corey Lindsley and activating him from the from the pup list would be the logical thing to do here. Uh, remember, TJ Lang has dropped out briefly uh, of each of his last two games, and J.C. Treader has a knee injury um, from the game against the Falcons. So you, you potentially... Got two wounded starting offensive linemen, even if they both play, and, and having Lindsley provides that would provide some insurance there. All right, with that said, on to our interview with George Bozica of the Pro Football Researchers Association and his new book on the Packers, the 1966 Green Bay Packers, Profiles of Vince Lombardi's Super Bowl I Champions. I am happy to welcome in my guest, George Bozica from the Pro Football Researchers Association. He's got a great new Packers book out on, on the 1966 Super Bowl champions. But first, George, tell us about the PFRA. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Bill. I appreciate it. Happy to do it. Uh, yeah, the Pro Football Researchers Association is uh, a uh, uh, was founded in 1979, actually, at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And our, our mission is to foster the study of pro football, to establish an accurate historical account of pro football, and then to disseminate the research. Um, basically, uh, we have over 400 members within the United States, and actually we even have members outside the country. Uh, when we came, we, we do a, a national meeting every two years. Uh, in 2010, our uh, meeting was uh, at NFL Films, and then in uh, 2012, we met, uh, or I should say 2014, we met in Cleveland, and then in 2016, we met in Green Bay. Uh, and, you know, basically, we have a magazine that comes out every other month called The Coffin Corner, where we basically have articles about football history. Uh, and, and basically, we're an organization that is very interested in preserving the history of pro football. Um, how's, first of all, I mean, you're, you, you just tell me off there that you're from Canton, so... Uh... I am. So yeah. coming from coming to Green Bay must have been like coming home almost, hey? Oh, it was. It was. You know, I, I grew up in Canton, and actually I grew up within walking distance of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, and uh, when the Pro Football Hall of Fame opened in 63, uh, uh, and I would have been uh, eight years old at that time. Uh, so it, it was interesting because, you know, football is part of the fabric of the community in Canton. So I, I very much, when I came to Green Bay, and it was the first time I visited Green Bay this summer, I really understood what, what Green Bay was all about because in Green Bay it just amped up so much. I mean, uh, the, the, the Packers are Green Bay, and it just, it, it's an amazing community. I, I, I totally fell in love with Green Bay. Uh, it was there, if there's a place I would want to retire, it would be Green Bay because it <laughs> it's an amazing place for football fans. Uh, it just the, 
just the, the, the monuments that you see going up uh, uh, Lombardi Avenue leading to the uh, to Lambeau Field and just everything about the community is just fantastic. Uh, I just I was thoroughly impressed. Obviously, there's been a lot written and said over the last you know five decades about the Lombardi Packers, but tell us about your book. Yeah, the, the, really, the genesis for this book was in, in 2014 when we met in Cleveland. We actually honored the 64 Browns, which was the last Browns championship team. Uh, that would have been the Browns of Frank Ryan, Jim Brown, Jerry Collins, that group. They beat the, uh, the Colts 27 to nothing in the NFL championship game that year. Uh, it was one of the, the few years in the early 60s that the Packers actually didn't win the NFL championship. Uh, so we honored the, the Browns uh, in Cleveland that year, and we had a couple of the former Browns come in. Just before the meeting, uh, I had picked up at my local bookstore uh, a book about the 1947 Brooklyn Dodgers, the Jackie Robinson Dodgers, the uh, Jackie Robinson's first year with the Dodgers when he broke the color barrier. And it was part of a series of books on memorable teams in baseball history that Sabre, the Society for American Baseball Research, had been doing. They had done a book about the uh, Dodgers. They did a book about the 1954 Cleveland Indians. They did a book about the, uh, the the Big Red Machine, the Cincinnati Reds of the 70s with Pete Rose and Joe Morgan and Agru. So I, I thought, well, you know, this would be a great project for pro football researchers to take on, but instead do books on great teams in pro football history. So we discussed it in Cleveland, and it was pretty much a consensus that the first book should be about the 66 Packers, the Lombardi Packers, uh, since they were the first Super Bowl champions. And with that, we decided, well, in 2016, the 50-year anniversary, we will go to Green Bay for our meeting. So that was basically the genesis for the book and, and why we did it. Actually, we're in the process of working on the second book in the series. The series is called Great Teams in Pro Football History, and it's being published by McFarland. Uh, publishing, and the second book is going to be about the 58 Colts, uh, the Colts of Johnny Unitas and Ray Berry that beat the Giants in the first sudden death overtime game. So uh, that's basically been the genesis for the project and, and why we picked the 66 Packers to be our first subject. So is it just the 66 Packers, or, or is it kind of chronicle the whole build-up to, to that team? You know, it, it, it covers the history leading up to it through the the course of the book, but the book is most definitely everything you would want to know about the 66 Packers. Uh, we cover, obviously, the coaches, uh, Vince Lombardi, the assistant coaches, the organization, how they built the 66 Packers, the, the draft uh, that year. Uh, we cover the preseason and the training camp. We have game summaries about each regular season game, about the NFL championship game and the Super Bowl. Uh, then we did player bios on every single player on the team. Uh, everyone from, uh, you know, Bart Starr, who obviously was uh, probably with, with, with Paul Horney and Jim Taylor, the face of the franchise at the team, to some of the lesser-known players uh, like Phil Vandersay and, uh, uh, and uh, David Hathcock. Uh, we also covered the stadiums. We, we had a section about the uh, Milwaukee County Stadium and about Lambeau Field. We had a section about the taxi squad. Uh, we also covered the press. Uh, all of the reporters that covered the Packers back in the day. We had bios on each one of them. And then finally, we also had a bio on Vernon Beaver, who was the Packers photographer back in the day. And actually, one of the great things that's in the book is, is that we had a liaison with the Beaver family, and the Beaver family was kind enough to uh, basically supply us with action shots that the Beaver family, wow. Vernon Beaver, had taken during the 66 season. 
and the photos that are in the book from the Beaver family are photos that have never seen the light of day. So uh, these are some really great original shots, and the, the photography of Beaver is just amazing. Uh, and, and his bio is, is I think, uh, the last bio in the book, but I think it's one of the highlights of the book because he had been a World War II photographer who then became the Packers photographer, and, and his work is just amazing. Tell me about the research that went into this. I mean, I'm sure doing Bart Starr might be entirely different than doing one of the lesser guys. It must have been a, I guess, how did, how did you get all this stuff? Yeah, you know, we, we did it in a number of different ways. I, I was the lead editor for the book, and we had 23 contributors to the book, all of which were uh, PFRBA, Professional Football Research Association, members. Uh, and, you know, members wrote anywhere from one you know, chapter of the book to a couple people wrote up to seven or ten chapters of the book, and then we also had a couple people that acted as, as editors and helped with the editing process. And what we did was we, uh, uh, one of our members there close by, uh, lives in uh, the Milwaukee area, Rick Shabowski, he did a lot of research there in the Milwaukee area, and he pulled newspaper articles for us for that whole season uh, from the the various newspapers in the area. Uh, then we also did research at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We, we, we probably scoured every book that was written about the players on that team and the team itself. And then, you know, finally also we did interviews. Uh, we were able to interview 11 of the former Packers, which uh, was, you know, an exciting thing. Plus, we also interviewed uh, Bud Lee, who was uh, one of the reporters at the, mm -hmm. the team. Uh, and we also interviewed... Uh, uh, Bob Jeter was uh, is no longer with us, but we interviewed his son, uh, and you know, so we also interviewed some family members too. So we were very fortunate that that so many of the former Packers opened up to us and, and talked to us because there, there's just nothing like that, you know, firsthand account through interviews. You know, I was talking to uh, Jeff Perlman last week, who did the the Brett Favre book, and yeah, and I said, you know, basically I said, you know, why Brett Favre? I mean, everybody knows about Brett Favre, and he said. But you only know the surface stuff, which is like, well, that's true. And I'm thinking about this book. I mean, we all know Vince Lombardi. We all, we all know Bart Starr. I think so many of us, myself included, only know the surface stuff. So Yeah, yeah, and that's true. You know, I, I, three of the players that I interviewed, one very well-known player, I interviewed Willie Davis. And obviously, uh, you know, Willie was a great interview subject in terms of, you know, the, the stories that he told me about, you know, coming to the Packers. It was really interesting. One of the stories that he told me was is that, you know, he was with the Browns. Actually, uh, he, he was with the Browns originally, and mm -hmm. uh, they the Browns, you know, traded him to the Packers, and he he thought he was going to Siberia <laughs> because you know the Packers of the of the of the fifties, you know, were not a good team. You know, the the Packers had gone through a long period of of you know just basically being the bottom dwellers of the NFL. Uh, the year before Lombardi came there, they went one ten and one. And then Lombardi's first year, they went seven and five. So Lombardi immediately turned them around. And you know, Willie finally talked to Lombardi and realized, well, this is going to be different. So once he realized what it was going to be, and saw what you know what happened, but you know, at first he was, you know, he said, oh, this is terrible because you know, when players went there, they thought that was the end of the line. Uh, and one of the other players I inter interviewed, which was one of the the, the, I shouldn't say lesser player, but one of the less well-known players on the team was Dave Hathcock. Uh and uh, Dave played very little that season. Uh, you know, but he was a member of that team. Uh, oddly enough, and it, and it tells a lot about the team itself. The very next year, he was traded to the Giants uh, in 1967, and he almost immediately saw a change in the way the two teams were. You know, with the Packers, everything was about team. 
immediately when he got into the Giants locker room, and this was a Giants team that had Fran Tarkenton at that time, he said that the, the, it was all about me with the Giants. And that's why the Giants just weren't as successful as the Packers were at the time because you know, the Packers had this great team approach, whereas you know, when he went to the Giants, he saw. So he understood why the Lombardi Packers were so successful. And then the third player I got the interview, which is probably my most enjoyable, was Zeke Bradkowski. And Zeke was the you know, backup quarterback to Bart Starr at the time. And Zeke actually had worked his way up through the NFL. He had started with the, the Bears playing for George Hallis, and he played for the Rams, and he finally came to the Packers. And he was probably uh, the best backup quarterback of his generation. I mean, any time that, that Radkowski took the field as a backup, usually good things happened for the Packers. Uh, it was amazing how many times he came in and led them to victory. And it was interesting because he said when he came to the Packers, the first person that contacted him was Bart Starr because Bart was work, was working on some film study, and he invited Zeke to come in and do the film study with him, which I, I think says a lot about the NFL of that day. I'm not sure if a, if a starting quarterback today would invite a guy that could possibly take his job to sure. do film study with him, but him and Bart immediately became best friends, and he, to this day, he considers Bart like a brother. Uh, you know, so it, it's just amazing. Uh, and the thing was is that one of the reasons that they were so successful by Bart, by, by Brat was so successful was he knew what what was going on on the field and and him and Bart worked so closely together off the field that he automatically was able to step in and be successful uh, because this was one of the things that Lombardi preached was preparation so he was always ready to go so uh, which is just one of the the many things that we found out about this team and you know just the character of the team itself I'm sure you did a lot of digging into into Vince in, in the book. Oh yeah, this is such a generic question, but you know, I, I look at today's NFL. I mean, maybe other than Belichick, I don't know how much difference a coach makes. I mean, I, I just just think players win games for you, but it's somehow different with the Belichick's role in, in with Vince. What what made Vince the perfect coach? Do you think? You know, I I, I came away from the book even more impressed with Lombardi as I was before. I mean, Lombardi growing up had always been sort of a hero to me. And I came away from the book even more impressed with him because, um, you know, just the way he he had worked his way up. I, you know, I mean, I think everybody knows the story, and, and obviously those in Green Bay probably know more of the story than, than the rest of us in other parts of the country. And I, I'm here in Northeast Ohio, uh, but Lombardi was successful from the very start. He, first of all, the one thing I, I found out about him that was really interesting was he was a great man of faith. This is something that that Zeke Bradkowski pointed out to me. He went to mass every day, and he actually served mass. Uh, and you know, so he was a great man of faith. He was successful even at the high school level. His first coaching jobs were at the high school level, and he was not only a high school football coach and successful in winning championships, he was also winning basketball championships, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting because, you know, sort of the, 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 the coaching god in, in our area is Paul Brown. And, you know, Paul Brown at, at Mathlon obviously, you know, basically won, you know, state championships and national championships at the high school level, but when Paul Brown was at Madison, he was also coaching the basketball team. So it was interesting to me that back in that time frame, you know, these coaches were expected to coach a number of different sports, and they were successful in all these sports. But I think what Lombardi brought, you know, people say, well, he coached with fear and all this, but it was interesting because in Cleveland, uh, Dave Robinson, who actually lives in in Northeast Ohio now and was a great linebacker on on the Lombardi team, 
one of the questions that was asked of him, well, you know, what about the fear factor? And he said, you know, he said, it wasn't the fear factor it was so much with Lombardi. Lombardi was successful because of love and respect. He said, we loved him and we respected him. And I think what he brought to the Packers was the organization, which I, I think that's a common thread in any of the great coaches, whether it's, it's as you said, Belichick. Cause, I mean, you know, every, we hear so much about Belichick and how organized he is and how much of a system coach. And I think it was the same thing with Lombardi. He was just organized, organized, organized. Uh, but you know what? He wasn't always successful because one of the interesting stories that, that, I, that we found in our research was that when he, he was an assistant with the Giants before he came to the, the, the Packers, and when he first came to the Giants in the 50s, uh, he was the offensive coordinator. Tom Landry was the defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what was interesting was is that the, at first the Giants players didn't take them. Uh, they were sort of nasty behind his back. They were calling him Little Mussolini, and uh, they didn't really care for him. And I guess Lombardi knew he wasn't really cutting the mustard, so he went to the players. He went to Gifford and some of the other players at the time, and he said, you know, for their health. And they were so impressed with him being that humble that that's when they finally came around, and then they finally understood what he was all about because everything was so much by the book and, and, you know, about organization and doing the right thing on every single play and execution and all that. So I think it was the organization and the drive. I think that's what he brought to the Packers because the Packers, before Lombardi got there, were, were an absolute mess with, with, you know, coaches like Scooter McLean that was there, you know, with the 110 in one year. And before that, they had Lyle uh, Blackmore. And these guys just, you know, one thing that, that you hear from the players that played for those coaches and played for Lombardi, it was night and day. Uh, those, those other coaches, they were too friendly with the players or the players didn't respect them or they didn't have the organization. And then here's Lombardi, and, and it was night and day. Interesting. Um, again, sur- this is the surface stuff that we all know is with, with Bart. Late round pick, you know, he wasn't cutting the mustard, and I, there was obviously some question whether he was ever going to mount to anything. And, and then he's arguably the greatest quarterback that ever lived. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it, 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 it was amazing the transformation under, you know, Lombardi with, with so many of the players. And, and you know, uh, Bart being one of them, another one is, is Paul Horning. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, Paul Horning w- was. I think just about ready to, to walk away. And, uh, you know, one of the first people that Lombardi contacted when he came to the Packers was Horning. And he told him how he was going to use him. You know, basically because of the success he had had with Gifford and with the Giants being sort of a multi-purpose type of back, you know, back in the day, he saw Horning as that same type of back. And that's when Horning really blossomed under, under you know, Lombardi. So he was able to, you know, find the best spot for the players and bring out the best of the players in his system. And, and again, that's, I guess that's a successful attribute of any great coach, and he was able to do that, uh, not only with his use at Bart Starr, but you know, here's Paul Horning with, you know, with, during the first couple years there uh, you know, in, in, in Horning's heyday in 59, you know, 60, and 61. You know, he was just putting up you know, amazing uh, you know, numbers in terms of you know, receiving, rushing, uh, uh, kicking, you know, he was just an amazing player, and, and Lombardi brought out the best in him, and so many of these other players, Lombardi just brought out the best in them. Obviously, remembers the the, the, the two Super Bowls, um, but obviously, you got to beat the Cowboys first. I'm sure you got some stories about about those epic matchups. Yeah, you know, they. It's interesting. Everybody remembers the Ice Bowl, right? Uh, which was the '67 championship game, but actually. The, the Packers and the Cowboys played twice in 67. They played the 66 
championship game on, on January 1st of 1967, and obviously the, the more famous Ice Bowl on December 31st of 1967. And, you know, an interesting aside, is, as I had mentioned earlier, was that Landry and Lombardi obviously had, you know, some experience together and that they were both on the coaching staff with the Giants. Uh, and I think the, the 66 championship game, as, as our contributor to the book, Rupert Patrick, who wrote the, the, the chapter on that, said it's probably the most underappreciated <laughs> yeah, exactly. championship game because everybody remembers the ice bowl and, and you know, Kramer's block and, and, and you know, the, the 13 below zero and everything else. But, you know, it was a great game that, you know, that the Packers won was one of the all-time great goal line stands, you know, to win, uh, you know, 34 to 27 over Dallas. And what's what's interesting uh, is that, you know, that game is just, you know, was such a great game. And, and again, it just, you know, two great games with the two teams that, that same year. It wasn't, it was uh, Dave Robinson infamously uh, rushed the quarterback on that one. And I think the story right. goes is he got, he got a negative grade for that. Right, correct. Yeah, he, <laughs> he did. And then uh, uh, Tom Brown intercepted the pass. And, you know, the, the, the other thing, and, and that, that Reminds me of what else I wanted to say about the, the 66 team in, in regard to the Dallas game is, is that the goal line stand was a key to the team's success that year, too, and that they were a great defensive team. I thought it was interesting. I was uh, looking at the, the statistical section in the book uh, in preparation for our interview today, and Bart only threw 251 passes that year. 251 passes total, and he was the, the leading quarterback in the league that year. It just goes to show the, the difference in what the NFL has become with the, the sort of pass-happy game it is today. But the, the defense only gave up 163 points that year in the old 14-game season, and they were number one in the NFL for points given up. But they had you know, such a great defense that year you know, with, with Adderley and Wood and, uh, as you said, Dave Robinson and, and uh, uh, Leroy Caffey, Ray Nitschke. Uh, you know, they were just uh, Willie Davis. They were an unbelievable defensive unit. And really the key to that season, you know, was the, the defense. One of the more interesting stories that, that's in the book is uh, Donnie Anderson, who was a rookie on that team, uh, he remembers that they were playing the, the Browns in, in game two of the season. And as, as people may recall, they beat the Browns the year before in the 65 championship game. Uh, so this was a rematch of, of the, basically the NFL championship game from the year before. And late in the game, the Browns were leading 20-14. to 14, and, and Anderson's on the sidelines, and he looks over at uh, uh, Fuzzy Zerston, and he says, you know, gee, this isn't going too well. And Fuzzy was so confident. He said, no, he said, we're going to stop the Browns, we're going to get the ball back, we're going to score, and we're going to walk out of here. And Donnie Anderson was just amazed because that's exactly what they did. They wanted to wow. 20. And it was that confidence. So that the team also had this, you know, this great confidence that had been built up over the years from winning, you know, the various championships. And I think it carried over with the players because I, I think one of the most interesting themes of the book was how successful all of these players were off the field after they finished football. And that was something that Zeke Bradkowski had mentioned to me in, in the interview that we did is, is that, you know, one of the things they learned from Lombardi was life lessons. You know, and, and they carried those life lessons on after football. You know, so many of these guys were successful, you know, off the field. Uh, you know, Willie Davis was a successful businessman and still is. I mean, at one point he was a heartbeat away from becoming the commissioner. Uh, you, know, you have guys like, 
you know, Willie Wood, Elijah Pitts, Forrest Gregg, and Brad Kosky, who went on to, you know, very successful coaching. Uh, Ken Bowman, who was a center, was a successful lawyer. Uh, Max McGee started the old Chi Chi's restaurant chain. Right, yep. Max, uh, Bob Long, a receiver on the team, and, and Bob actually appeared at our meeting in Green Bay and, and was one of the speakers. He started Pizza Hut. Uh, Fuzzy Thurston had a restaurant up in Green Bay for a number of years that was a really successful watering hole up there. Uh, so, you know, it's just amazing that so many of these guys were not only successful on the field, they were, they were basically champions on the field, champions off the field, because they, were, they became so successful off the, outside the field. And I think, again, it was that Lombardi, uh, you know, uh, way, you know, that they, they carried that on with them the rest of their lives. You sent along a couple excerpts to get me ready for this, and one, one interesting story I thought was the, the, uh, the genesis of the ice bowl block on, on Jethro Pugh was, was film study, and it was Jerry Kramer's suggestion. Yes, it was. Yeah, uh, and, and actually there was a couple of interesting stories uh, from Kramer. Uh, he's, he's, he's a great interview. Our, our, our current president, Ken Crippen, was able to interview him. And uh, the, other, the other story... That, that Kramer told was about Super Bowl one, uh, you know, because they played the Kansas City Chiefs, and you know, here you have the basic Packers uh, sort of, uh, you know, execution, the Lombardi sweep, you know, and then you have, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs with Hank Stram's, you know, complicated offense at the time, and it was interesting because Kramer told the story that you know, uh, they won the game thirty-five to, to ten, and he said that one of the things he said he was. He had a beer with Len Dawson years later, and he said, you know, he said, one of the things that he thought was is that it almost seemed that when the teams came out at halftime, because it was a really close game at halftime, he said it almost seemed like the Chiefs were satisfied. He said, you know, hey, we'd hung with the, the, the Packers, uh, and, and it just seemed that they weren't the same team in the second half. And, and Dawson said to Kramer, he thought he was probably right about that. He said, you know, he said, and Kramer said, or uh, Dawson said to Kramer, he said, you know, we grew up, he said, and you guys were our heroes. Mm-hmm. He said, so, so I think that they were right that, that you know, the, the Chiefs were just not ready. I mean, obviously, four year, uh, three years later in Super Bowl four, the Chiefs got their own Super Bowl win. But it was really interesting to me that that was the case because, you know, leading into that Super Bowl game, there was so much pressure on Lombardi and the Packers to win that game because, you know, it was, it was AFL versus NFL at the time. Uh, and actually it was called the, the, uh, the AFL-NFL World Championship game. It wasn't even called the Super Bowl yet. The Super Bowl name came later. Uh, but there was so much pressure. There was no way that the Packers, you know, were not going to win that game. They said Lombardi was just so serious that whole week. The players all said that, that, you know, uh, there was just no way. You know, he felt that he had the whole pressure of the whole league on him uh, going into that game. But it's also in the book that the players didn't take the Chiefs all too seriously at times either. I remember one anecdote where there, there some Chiefs ran into each other and they were laughing at them on film. They were, yeah. They sort of looked at it as a Mickey Mouse team and a, sort of a, the AFL, they sort of looked at it like as a Mickey Mouse league. So, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of respect. Uh, and, I, again, I think it was because the NFL just felt that they were that much more superior to the Chiefs, and obviously there's, there's a, sort of the famous story, which has been repeated many, many times, about, you know, Fred the Hammer Williams mm-hmm. was a uh, defensive player for them, and how, you know, he was going to, you know, lower the boom and lower the hammer, so to speak, and actually he ended up getting knocked out of the game, so, uh, which was really a, a famous story of, you know, the, the, the over 
confidence and, and cockiness of at least, you know, Williamson. It was good, I'm sure, uh, uh, locker room fodder at the time. But, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of respect uh, between the two leagues at the time. I, I Obviously, I think with, you know, Namath and the Jets finally winning, you know, two years later, that's when the respect started to come. But there wasn't a whole lot of respect that first year. Now that you've poured all this research into this book, I guess what what stands out to you most of all about this about that team? You know, one thing that we looked into, and, and I, I that I thought was really amazing too about the team, and we actually cover it in a chapter, is the the race relationships on the team. Uh, you know, Lombardi had grown up as an Italian American, and he faced some prejudice himself because of, of being Italian-American. As I said, you know, behind his back, he was referred to as little Mussolini by the Giants players. And actually, there was a time that he wasn't getting some of the jobs he, he felt that, that he should be because there was a vowel at the end of his name. And I think because of that, he would not tolerate any type of racism on the team. Uh, and they were very united in that sense. Uh, one of the more famous stories was is that uh, Lionel Aldridge, uh, was going to marry uh, a white girl, Lionel Aldridge, being African American, and when Roselle heard about it, he tried to intercede, and Lombardi basically told him to, you know, th- that it was none of his business. Uh, Lombardi was going to run his team, and that's the way it was. So, uh, you know, I think that Lombardi was, you know, ahead of his time in that regard too, because obviously this was in the time of the '60s and everything else, and, and it's and it's a story that you hear over and over again from the players on the team. But I, I think that to go back to the the question is is that I I think the the thing that I I took the most is, is just the unity of these guys and and how this was such a great team and how they cared for each other. I I saw that even at the meeting in Green Bay because uh, we were able to get, as I said, Bob Long, who had been a receiver on the team, and Zeke Bradkowski to come in and speak to our group. And just the camaraderie even now after all these years between those two guys is just amazing. You know, these guys still, you know, love each other, respect each other, and, and you can just see that. It, it was it was truly a team in the, in the sense of the word. I mean, I, I think that was one of the things I was so impressed was the team, the 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 commitment to excellence, which is obviously sort of a, uh, a phrase you always hear with Lombardi, but it, it was very true. You know, he he brought out the best in his players uh, because of, of the way he was. And uh, I think that's the thing that I came away with most from the book and from the experience uh, was that, that fact. All right, George, how do people get the book? That's the most important thing here. Yeah, uh, yeah let me share two email uh, addresses. First of all, for anybody interested in pro football researchers, uh, profootballresearchers.org. Anybody that has an interest in pro football history, uh, you know, can join the organization. There's actually a link on the website where you can purchase a book, but you can also go directly to McFarland Publishing's uh, website, which is McFarlandBooks.com. And uh, that way, if anybody that is interested can also, uh, you know, purchase a book. And as I said, our, our second book in the series, which we're really happy to be working on, and we started almost immediately after the uh, 2016 meeting in Green Bay, is going to be on the 58 Packers, or the 58 Colts, I should say. Uh, and tentatively, we believe the third book in the series is going to be on, on that Chiefs Super Bowl Four championship team. So that's the, the, the book that we're thinking in terms of as, as the third book, and we hope this will be an ongoing series that, uh, that the group will put out. And I, I can't say enough, too, about the, 
the support of the organization and all the contributors, every contributor to this book. I, I just helped put the thing together, but without the contributors, uh, you know, this book would not have been possible. And as I said, uh, you know, that we had so many people that stepped forward from the organization in terms of, you know, writing, researching, editing, you know, to put the book together. And uh, it was a, a truly a collaborative effort on, on the part of the group. Well, it's a great book on a on a great team, and you know, people, Christmas is coming. You know, some Packer fans, you should buy like about ten copies to give them away. I say. Yeah, and and the name <laughs> of the book I want to mention. The name of the book is the 1966 Green Bay Packers Profiles of Vince Lombardi Super Bowl One Champions. That that is the official name of the book, and uh, yeah, I, I I can't say I I I think that. Uh, I've received really, you know, good feedback in terms of those that have purchased the book. They really enjoy it. Uh, it, it, it basically, we set out to basically make it a, an encyclopedic uh, book about that team, and, and that's basically what it is. It covers every aspect of the team, uh, including, as I said, we, we did the feature also, which I did not mention earlier, about, about race and the Packers, because, uh, you know, we felt that that was an important topic uh, given that this was in the midst of the 60s and the civil rights movement and everything else, and, and that the, the Packers were truly a, a, a uh, colorblind team. And that was because it came right from the top and then Coach Lombardi. The world needs more Vince Lombardis. I mean, just, I mean, just look at the state of our country. We, we need more Vince Lombardis. Just we, we, we really do. I, I, like I said, you know, it, it, was, it was interesting because one of the things I talked to, to Zeke about was I said, well, how does Lombardi compare to uh, George Hallis? Because he, you know, obviously played for both of them. And he said, you know, he said they were both great men of faith, and he, he said they had, they had so many similarities, and obviously everybody, especially those of you living up in Green Bay, obviously here in Cleveland area, we have our, our Steelers rivalry, but up there, I, the Packers and the Bears is one of the great rivalries in, in pro football. Uh, but he said that, you know, there were just so many similarities between them in terms of you know, being great men of faith and just great men, period, and that they both brought that same you know, thing to the table. Yeah, Lombardi, we do need more of Vince Lombardi. You, you're absolutely right. We need people of that kind of character today. And he was just an amazing person. He really was. All right, George, I appreciate your time. And, uh, and thanks for joining the podcast today. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, Bill. I really appreciate the opportunity uh, and uh, to talk about the book. Thank you so much and about PFRA. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Thank you. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. By singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figure it out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.